So I'm gonna start off in John 12. I'm gonna read verses 31 through 36, and then I'm gonna flip back to the Old Testament, and I'm gonna read 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Now, if you're a regular with us, then you're probably getting my email letter that's going out to us every week. Um, if you're not a regular and you'd like to be, please send us an email, info at saltboxchurch.com, and we will add you to that list. It's really important that as a family, uh, we're getting those letters because more than a weekend gathering, more than even communication, uh, it, it's that we're coming together as a church family, and we're actually becoming church. We are the church. So we can do that even in the midst of social distance. Okay, John 12, and I'm going to read 31 through 34, picking up right where we left off last week. <clears throat> John 12, verse 31. Jesus is talking. He's talking to a group of Greeks, and this is what he is now saying. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Notice that, ruler of the world. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How could you say that the son of man must be lifted up? And I'm flipping back to the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7, verses 13 and 14. And this has some difficult words in it. And I want to look at those difficult words. I, those of you who know me, I tend to want to look things in the eye, talk about it, be intelligent about it, work it through. And if you're like me, I've been through some unique suffering and difficulty in my own life that has made me go, Lord, how do I walk with you in difficulty? How do I walk with you uh, when things look scary or ominous? How do I walk with you uh, in loss? How do I walk with you in the coronavirus? And can you even take something that is great tragedy and flip it into triumph. So let's read this together. This is Second Chronicles 7, verses 13 and 14. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Those are hard words. Let's pray, and then let's look at them together. Lord Jesus, would you enliven our hearts? Lord, we don't really need my answer. We don't need a human answer. Lord, we need a, a, a God answer. We need a God-inspired moment where you actually give us your perspective on what's happening on the earth today. And Holy Spirit, I would invite you into every living room, every heart, every place, and would you rise up within us and come over us with the truth and the revelation of how you see uh, the crisis that our world is currently facing. Lord, open your word to us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. I brought with me this morning um, a little pair of Ugg boots. And I wanna tell you a short story, but uh, when my wife Abby and I uh, were first married, um, we could not get pregnant for almost five years. And it was a time of uh, great pain. And as the years wore on, um, the fear that we would never get pregnant um, was sort of overtaking us. Uh, the disappointment, um, the pain, 
and the reality of our lives not being what we had hoped seemed to be just overshadowing us to the point where I feared that, that Abby and I would lose the, the celebratory joy and intimacy of our marriage. And then I also feared that we would lose God in the middle of the tragedy. And there was a gentleman uh, in our lives who was a mentor and a friend of mine at the time, and he met with us and we were very open. We cried and shared. And he and his wife actually encouraged us. It was fascinating. He encouraged us to go out and buy a pair of shoes and to put them in a place where we would see them and that Abby and I uh, would pray regularly and say, Lord, would you fill these shoes? And uh, she and I both wore Ugg boots. Yes, I wear Ugg boots, believe it or not. Um, they were created by surfers in Australia for dudes, let me say, not for the ladies. Um, but Abby and I put these Ugg boots up and we began to pray, Lord, would you fill these boots? And it wasn't too many uh, months later that we got pregnant. Now, let me pause right there. <clears throat> Any situation in our lives that creates pain and difficulty and discomfort and uncertainty uh, gives us an opportunity to either uh, press in and move towards God or uh, to harden our hearts and move away from God and away from one another. And in our situation, um, we've had a positive ending to our prayer. But there's many situations um, that, the, that the ending is not always positive. And, it, and it's that situation that I actually wanna look into. I wanna look into the eyes of this whole thing that we're facing. I'm watching the John Hopkins website and I'm watching the death numbers go up and I'm watching the number of cases rise and I'm hearing from people in uh, Madrid, Spain that are on ventilators and I'm talking to people around different places and I'm looking at how serious of an epidemic that we are actually in the middle of. And I want us to look in into that through the lens of the scripture and go, Lord, how do you see it? Because we need your perspective. You don't really need to hear from me, bald Michael Mattis this morning. No, no, you need to hear from King Jesus and go, Lord, how do you see it? And therefore, how do you call us to walk it out? So the first thing that I wanna say to you, my first point, and it's really the point of the entire Easter series is that we have a kind, loving, and good Father. That's what Easter's all about. It's about him sending his son. It's about a God who came to earth to walk with us, to woo us, to love on us, and to lead us to salvation, to saving life in Christ Jesus. And let me say it like this. Your, your inner um, reality uh, is gonna ultimately create, shape, and define your external reality. So, so your inner world and what you believe on the inside will ultimately shape the decisions you make, the way you manage life, and how you do family and everything else, and what you believe inside it will ultimately be demonstrated by the life that is built around you. So let me say it to you like this. If you believe in a father who is a God of great love and great compassion and great care, if you believe in a father that is pursuing you and will never stop and will never give up and isn't about shaming you or being angry at you or even a, a, a God who is um, ugly towards you, if you believe in a God that, that loves you, then that is going to shape and change and be manifested in your world. Now flip that around a bit. If you believe in a father who's abusive or neglectful, if you believe in a, a father God who is distant or not caring or is not interested in the mundane or the, the trivial things of your life, then that is also gonna be reflected in the world around you. 
So when I study and when I look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, what I see is this grand love story. It began as a love story in the very beginning in the garden. And it continues as a love story. God wanted to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And it continues as a love story, a fiercely relational love story throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And yet the question becomes, how do I uh, continue to see God when I can't have children, when I face a chronic illness, when I've lost a child or a spouse, when I'm single and I'm in so much pain that I'm single and I wanna be married, when I'm a young person that's facing something insurmountable. The question is how do we believe in a God that's good? How do we believe in a father that loves us in that type of difficulty? Now let me look into the camera a second and say something very clearly to you. I am at peace with the coronavirus. Not because I am necessarily gonna make it through or every member of my family or extended family is gonna make it through necessarily. Not necessarily because our stocks or our investment or our mortgage or anything else is gonna be okay. Not because that the financial state of America or the other countries of the world are gonna be okay, no, no. I am at peace with it because I trust that whatever happens, we have a loving father who will never stop and who will never give up and who will work whatever happens for our good and his ultimate glory. Now, I also believe he has called us and is commissioning us to pray with him that this thing would come to an end. So let's explore that idea. And let me even ask this question. We just read in 2 Chronicles, and I actually wanna read it. It says, this is God talking. It says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. What, what you actually have to begin to ask, and I, I ask this with some great risk because it's a big question, is did God send this virus? Did God create this? Did he send it? And it's that sort of um, question that I want to wrestle with for just a few minutes before I call us as a church, us as a community, to actually engage in praying over this thing. I'm going to ask you to engage in repenting, which is uh, simply turning. It's changing your mind. It's a biblical word that means changing from your way to God's way, saying, Lord, forgive me. And then I'm going to ask you to engage in praying for our land and for the countries of the world related to this virus. But the question I think we have to grapple with first is, could God cause this? So let's go theologically just a second. Could God cause something like this? Well, he's God, so he can do anything. So the first answer is possibly. But what you quickly get into then is a more biblical and accurate way of understanding what happens is uh, there is an enemy who is alive and well in this world. And what's fascinating is we just read it in John 12, but John 12, 31 says, now is the judgment of this world and now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So the question is, who's the ruler of the world? And I would actually suggest to you this morning that most Christians have this mixed about in their heads. Most Christians tend to think that God is um, 
uh, ruler of the world and he holds the whole world, so to speak, in his hands. And there's some truth to that. But what Jesus begins to say here is literally the ruler of the world is Satan. The ruler of the world is the enemy. The ruler of the world, he is in control of the world. So, so what you begin to quickly put into perspective here is Satan's ruling the world and yet God is sovereign over it. There's a tension there. How do you work that out? I, I think the best way to work it out is to read Job 1. Make a note. Read Job 1. But there's this beautiful dialogue in Job 1, I'm not gonna read it to you, between Satan and God. And God is uh, talking about his servant Job who fears God and shuns evil is the exact biblical word. And Satan is literally saying, well, of course he fears you. You've got this hedge around him or you have impediments to letting me, Satan, have my will and destroy his life. And God looks at Satan and says, fine, I lift the impediments. I lift the boundaries. I I lift the hedge of protection around Job's life. And so Satan goes out and he is able to inflict Job with all manner of pain, difficulty, and suffering. Now, here's the important part. Did God cause the suffering? No. Did God create the evil that happened in Job's life? No. Was God the catalyst of, of, of what happened, of the death, of the suffering, of all that Job went through, No, God lifted the impediments, God uh, raised the boundaries, Um, God lifted the hedge is the exact word that Job uses And, and in that Satan is then allowed to come in and attack. So this brings me to my second point. John 12, 31 says it very clearly, but the ruler of this world, it's Satan, intends to steal, kill, and destroy everything he can. Now, you, you gotta go with me here, and I'm gonna entreat you just a minute because this is so very important. Because if you cannot get this theological piece set right in your own heart and in your own mind, you will absolutely miss a reality that there is a loving God that is after you and who is doing everything to come and get you and love on you and set your feet right, set your path right. So if you miss this, if you, if you miss the reality that Satan not only rules the world, but he's after stealing and killing and destroying, you will miss uh, knowing a loving and gracious Father God. It's a little bit like you might have the right head answer, but in your heart, what you live out of, what you make choices out of, what you believe will never um, fully be uh, a, a, a sort of um, the, the revelation of this loving God will never fully be actualized. If you miss this, you will likely blame God for all manner of evil. Now, I started with our story. Abby and I were at a point of disappointment. Abby and I were at a point of pain. Abby and I were even at a point of bitterness where we were blaming God. If you miss this central point that there is a ruler of this world, he is not God, and he is out to kill and destroy, then I think you also are at risk of being able to rest in the sovereignty of God. Now, if Satan rules the world and God is sovereign over it, we also know that Jesus will return. We've read the end of the book. We know that Jesus will return. If you haven't, I'd encourage you to read it in Revelation. But Jesus will return. He will overthrow Satan with finality and he will set up a new heaven and a new earth. Now, who will rule earth at that time? King Jesus. Stay with me here. God is light God is truth, God is love, God is peace, in him is no evil. 
So the question that I think Christians everywhere, especially in America, get stuck on is like, how can God be good? Um, How can God be a good, loving father with all this evil rampant in the world? And I think it actually betrays um, a, a foolish or, um, or, or maybe an illiterate world uh, view because the accurate question is, how can anything good be in the world ruled if it's world ruled by Satan? See, God is a God who is good and the boundaries um, in life and in the world uh, that God has in place on Satan are what keeps good things happening and his grace and his love and his peace and his joy even alive and well on planet earth. So there's this sort of battle that is going on. Let me get personal again for a second. We have a youngest daughter named Amelia, and on my birthday, uh, just this last December 29th, she was diagnosed with type one diabetes. Now, go with me here just a minute. Did God cause the type one diabetes? No. Did God at some level raise the impediments or lift the hedge so that the enemy could inflict type one diabetes? Yes, this key, this is so key to our understanding. Now, what we know because of Romans 8, 28 and many, many other scriptures is if we're willing to walk with him and trust him, he will use type one diabetes, an inability to get pregnant, a chronic illness, a divorce, a marriage, a death, and anything else in your life, a virus on the shores of our country, he will use it for our good, yours and mine, and for his ultimate glory. You know, one of the things that um, I really dislike, and I'll be be again (laughs) vulnerable here, but Christians and a lot of well-meaning people, when, when a tragedy happens, like Amelia getting type one, come in and they go, well, this is all part of God's plan. I wanna go, No, it's not. God's plan is to love, is to honor, is to bless, is to move us forward in life. Occasionally, God lifts those boundaries. He he, he lifts the impediments and the enemy is allowed. God maybe allows him. Even that's a word that I'd be questionable about using. But God lifts the impediment and the enemy is allowed to come in and inflict something like type one. The enemy is occasionally allowed when the boundaries are lifted, when the impediments are removed, to come in and inflict the world with the coronavirus. Now, here's what I know. And Abby and I have chosen to rest in the fact that God is already using type one diabetes for Amelia's good, for her blessing, and for his ultimate glory. Now, let's take that a step further. Could God have uh, let the enemy all the way in to access her life? In other words, could he have let her take her life? Could God have let the enemy take her life? Yes, but he didn't. And for that, I praise God. Now, this brings me to my third point, And it's probably the most important point. Life on planet earth is lived in a tension. And it's lived in a tension between the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. 
And what we just read in John 12, we discussed it last week, but literally it is the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ that is what overthrew and uh, cast out Satan. So at the uh, Friday, at the death of Christ, and then Sunday when he is literally Easter Sunday raised up, you, you get this um, all power on heaven and earth is now made available to every one of us who are in Christ. And that is true. And yet because we still have an enemy who is active ruling the world and God has not fully returned and overthrown him and established his rule and his reign on the earth, you live in the now God has and he has overcome Satan. He has defeated the enemy. He has broken the back of the enemy. But you live in the not yet that he hasn't fully actualized his purpose and he is not yet fully ruling heaven. Well, he's fully ruling heaven. is not yet fully ruling earth. And so then he invites us into the process with him and there's even warfare over God establishing his rule and his reign on the earth. So, so let's just be uh, very, very direct on this. Did God cause the coronavirus? Theologically, I would say absolutely not. Did God uh, at some point in time lift the impediments or lift the hedge so that the enemy, who's the author of everything evil and every lie and every rape and every war and every hungry child, did, he, did God at some level raise his impediment, his sovereign rule, and the enemy come in and inflict our world with this thing? Yes. This is not just semantics because if you can change this, if you can get in your heart that we serve a God who is good and who loves us and who has called us and has purpose for us, then it will change your outlook daily on not only this crisis, but every crisis we face for the rest of our life. Now, did God cause the coronavirus? Theologically, I'd say no. He is a good father and here is what I know. We stand as a result of what is happening on our shores and shores all around the world, we stand at possibly the greatest spiritual opportunity of my lifetime and yours. When you look at the Great Awakening, the first, the second, when you look at it overseas and when you look at it here in America, when you look at every revival that's ever happened around the world, the revivals are always preceded um, by tragedy and difficulty. So if, if God did lift those impediments, if he did lift the barriers, if Satan came in and caused this uh, tragedy and many others, just like if you read the Old Testament, it's the same situation. God lifts impediments, Satan comes in and inflicts the people with something, the people eventually turn to God in repentance, God drops those impediments back down, and, and there is sort of grace and peace restored. So, Every great revival, every great move has been preceded by a time of suffering and difficulty. Did God cause the suffering or difficulty? No. Will God use the suffering and difficulty for our good and his glory? Yes. Yes. Now, 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14 it's so important because Perry, who led us in worship, and Ruth, who opened up the whole service, both of these uh, people reached out to me several weeks ago and quoted these two verses to me. And what I loved about both phone calls, they both called me, and Ruth's one of our elders at Saltbox, Perry's leading worship for us, and they both read verse 13, which most people don't read. Most people stay away from it because it's scary. And here's what verse 13 says. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain... 
or I command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence, sounds like coronavirus, among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Now, here's the question. Here's the question before we get to the latter part of this verse. It sounds like God is causing it, but when you dig into the Hebrew on it, which we're not gonna do this morning, but when you dig into it, the way that I read it and the way I look at the character of God from Genesis to Revelation is that he does not author evil, he does not cause evil, he does not inflict evil, he does not inflict suffering. There are times when he lifts the impediments, he lifts the barriers, he lifts the hedge, and the enemy then comes in with all manner of evil. That's sort of the theological implications and the way I would read this. So is God technically sovereign over it? Yes. Is Satan in control of it and inflicting it because he's the ruler of the world? Yes. It's key difference there. So the question this morning, and I'm gonna call you to pray with us here in just a minute, is can we and will we humble ourselves if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal, hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. We need our land healed today, don't we? The countries of the world actually need their lands healed. And I think the good that this loving father wants to do on the earth today is actually establish his loving and gracious uh, rule and revive people's hearts. And I think he wants to actually use the suffering to get people to turn to him, to get the Christian church to turn to him, to get the church in America to uh, take their eyes off of the things it's been on and get them to shift back to looking and gazing upon Jesus. I have a dear friend, Dr. Clive Calver, that says, God will bless America when America blesses God. And I love that statement. And if you're like me, I've been in prayer meetings before and you have people sort of going around the room going, Lord, bless me and Lord, bless America. And I wanna go, no. There is a, uh, it is laid out. It is a, a, a spiritual law that is in place from Genesis to Revelation throughout all time that when we as people humble ourselves before a holy God and we turn to him and we look to him and we repent and we come to him that he will bless us. So I think it's an absolute misnomer for us to stand around praying that God would bless our country or our families or anything in our lives without us choosing to bless God, without us coming to him with great humility. And let me say very clearly right now, I don't see much humility in the American church. I see people who tend towards some self-righteousness. I'll put myself in that category. I wanna remind you that Jesus reserved his greatest criticism not for people stuck in sin or addiction or you name it. No, no, no. He never, never criticized anybody like that. Read the Gospels. He criticized the religious people, the Sadducees or Pharisees, which are the equivalent to people like me, church people, pastors. That's who he criticized. Now, go with me here. 
It's a spiritual principle as real as gravity that if we as America, if we as Christians will come and bless God and will surrender our hearts to him and seek his face and even repent, and repent is simply a biblical world that means turn from whatever you're facing, whatever you're um, putting as preeminent in your life and, and turn towards King Jesus. That's what repent means. It means change your focus, shift your gaze, restore, come back to him, come back to that heart of worship and let him begin to take the tragedy that we're in and turn it into triumph. That's what repentance means. You know, I've recently heard, as probably you have too, Dr. Anthony Fauci's reports and predictions about what could happen in our country. I think God's heart is that he would drop those boundaries, that he would drop that hedge of protection back on this country and the countries of the world, that he would put an end to this virus that is rampant around the world. But I think he is asking us as a church to humble ourselves, to pray, to turn back to him in repentance, and then ask that he would heal our land 